Amen. Thank you, Barbara. If you'll get your copy of Scripture, open to Luke chapter 14. We are studying our way through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse. We're in chapter 14. Uh, you, If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can find that on page 1203, I believe. 1203, that's a guess, but I pretty sure that's the page. Luke 14, page 1203. We'll read it through and then we'll dive in, see what the Lord has for us. Let's read together. Luke 14, beginning in verse 15. The Bible says, Now when one of those who sat at the table with Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you, may I be excused? And another said, I have bought... Five yoke of oxen, and I am going to test them. I asked you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master... It is done as you have commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. Verse 24, For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. Now, God, we pray that you'll give us clarity and understanding, Father, that you'll give us spiritual ears and hearts to receive, that you might... Teach us and instruct us this morning about Yourself. God, we want to know You. We want to see You more clearly. Lord, will You help us to hear from You this morning exactly what You'd have us to hear for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, let's just do a little recap so that we know where we are in the, in the Gospel of Luke. Remember where this chapter started. That in the first verse of chapter 14... Jesus goes to eat on the Sabbath day. He's invited into the house of a prominent religious man, a Pharisee. But we know that it was just a setup. And so last week we talked about the fact that they were trying to trap Jesus to get him to uh, discredit himself in some way. And so they invited him to lunch and then they invited this man who had dropsy, had some organ failure disease. And they invited him in and Jesus healed him on the Sabbath just as they had predicted. But then Jesus turned the tables on them and asked them, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? To which they had no reply. Then He turned and said, and which of you, because you're condemning me for healing this man, which of you wouldn't help your, your ox or your donkey if it had fallen in a ditch or needed water on the Sabbath? To which they had no reply. So there's a bit of an awkwardness in the air, if you will. Jesus has completely shut them down. They're speechless. They don't have any uh, response to what He has said. Then He begins to teach. 
he supposedly, as they're watching him, he's watching them. And so he teaches them that while I was watching you, I saw all of you clamoring to get the good positions, to get the good seats within the, uh, within the uh, meal. And so he tells them that they need to humble themselves. Then he turns to the host and he says, to the host, he says, when you give a banquet, you shouldn't invite people who can return the favor unto you. You shouldn't use the law of reciprocity in order to determine who you're going to invite over to your home. But you should open your home to the poor and to the blind and to the lame, to those who are needy. And so you sense this tension in the air. Now, out of this awkward silence, because really nobody's been talking but Jesus, out of the silence comes verse 15. It's quiet, and suddenly we hear, now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Well, I know what it is. Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. That sounds good. Because we're all religious people here. Let's just be friends with one another. And you know that, that awkwardness that comes in the moment where no one's saying anything and people are just sort of looking at each other and you can just hear the, the forks hitting the plate but it's, and you're just thinking of something to say. You've already covered the weather. You've already complimented the food. And now you're just pretty much out of anything to say. And it's awkward. You see, the silence doesn't bother me too much. I kind of like the silence because uh, I'm just sort of curious person, I guess, by nature. I just like to see what's going to happen. And, uh, of course, it happens to me all the time. A couple weeks ago when I was gone, I was hiking uh, through the uh, Smoky Mountains. And um, to make a really long story short, I got uh, in a bit of trouble. Me and the fella, Charlie, who I was with, we uh, were prepared for... We had you know, prepared ourselves, studied up, watched the weather, looked at the weather patterns, had everything together. We were prepared for about 30 degree weather at night. And so we were ready for that. And the first night it went down to about 10. So needless to say, I almost froze to death. So after spending all night sleeping next to a fire, literally, I woke up, my face was covered with ashes trying to just survive. I couldn't feel any of my extremities. We hiked down to the nearest road and found some fella and paid him to take us into town. So there's this guy in this little compact truck and we come out. And of course, I don't know this at the time because I've been in the forest, but my face is covered with ashes still because the guy I'm with doesn't tell me this. So I walk up with a face full of ashes like, you know, hi, you know, and he's like, so we pay the guy, uh, needless to say, so only one of us can fit in the front. So that would be me. So Charlie's in the back and he's taking us to town. Now, I don't know this guy. We're riding in the truck and we're going down the, the road. And so he just starts talking. And he's blankety-blank this, blankety-blank that. I mean, curse words everywhere. So I'm sitting there going, this is going to be awkward. So we're going, going, going. So this goes on for like 10 minutes. And finally, he stops and takes a breath. And he goes, so what do you do for a living? I just sit there. I said, I'm a pastor. 
silence. I mean, he doesn't say a word. So we're driving, nothing. And it's just, and I'm not breaking it. And we're just sitting there, going down the road. And he's just looking straight ahead. Finally, after like 10 minutes, he says, My brother goes to church. I got him now. He can't jump out. So out of the silence comes this statement that's really the same thing. I mean, it's awkward. Jesus is is sharing all of these amazing truths about the kingdom. And everyone in the room is realizing that, uh uh-oh, we really put our foot in our mouth. This isn't going very well. And so this one person just says, well... Well, blessed is he who will eat bread in the kingdom of heaven. Because he, these people feel entitled. The assumption here is that all of these religious people in the room are going to eat bread in the kingdom of heaven. Now, they realize Jesus is saying some hard things. They realize that they're not fully aware or don't fully comprehend or won't really believe exactly what he's saying. But they believe that they're going to eat bread in the kingdom of heaven. So he thinks, well, maybe if I just say this, we could talk about, you know, the weather or sports or anything. We could change the subject. Now, remember, back in chapter 13, Jesus made statements like in verse 26 when he's talking about the door being closed and that there being no more opportunity for people to come into the kingdom of heaven once that time comes that people will respond out of this entitlement by saying things like, what we ate in your presence and you taught in our streets. But Jesus said, but I will say to you that I do not know you or where you are from. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You see, he said some really hard things. And so they're, they're having to deal with what Jesus is saying and, and everything that he's teaching, but at the same time, they're not letting go of their entitlement. They just believe that they're going to be okay. That somehow things are going to work out for them. That He couldn't be talking about us because there's so many people in the world that are so much worse than we are. Boy, isn't that what we do? We immediately look around and we think the world is is so bad. And we watch the news and we see all the things that are going on and it makes us somehow feel good about ourselves. So in verse 16, Jesus, of course, is not going to just let this ride. So he begins teaching. So he tells a parable and he says, There's a certain man that gave a great supper or banquet is really a better translation of this word. A banquet and invited many people. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are ready. Jesus is saying, this man, he's going to give this great banquet. And he invited many people. Now think about this with me for a second. It's not a meal, it's a banquet. There's a difference. A meal really is something that we do together for the primary purpose of satisfying our hunger. But a banquet is really not about hunger as much as it is about celebration. This is more of a celebration banquet where certainly there's going to be lots of people and lots of food, but it's not about just satisfying our need to eat. 
It's about celebrating some event or some wonderful news. And so Jesus talking to religious people who understand what the Old Testament teaches. I mean, Jesus isn't talking to people who are strangers to the Word of God. That is imperative for you to understand this morning. That these people understand what the Old Testament teaches. They are connecting the dots to Isaiah 25 where the prophet says the Lord of hosts will appear uh, with a prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on his mountain a banquet of aged wine of choice pieces of marrow and refined aged wine and on his mountain he will swallow up the coverings which is which are over all the peoples even the veil which is stretched over the nations he will swallow up death for all time The Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces. He will remove the reproach of His people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God in whom we have waited that He might save us. This is the Lord in whom we've waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. See, they knew that. So they they understand what the prophets said. They're just disbelieving that the one that they're listening to is this one. And so, in the religious context, these are not people who are outsiders. These aren't people who were like me when I grew up, who never came to church, who never held a Bible, who didn't know there was two testaments, who didn't never... I never knew any of that. It was completely foreign knowledge to me. That's not... Who Jesus is talking to. Jesus is talking to a group of people who have grown up in the Bible Belt and who, whose grandparents have went to church and whose parents have went to church and they know the routine and they know how to dress and when they walk in the door of the synagogue, people know their name and they know when to sit down and when to stand up and they know all of the routines. You know, maybe you're here this morning and this is completely new to you. You know, I remember what that feels like. I remember what it's like to come and sit in church and not know really what was going on or what people were talking about or what those strange words that we use sometimes when we pray or when we talk mean. And so you're just sort of here and trying to figure all this out. And I commend you for that and pray that you'll just feel comfortable and know that at least some of us in this room did not grow up in a religious context. It's... It's something that I distinctly remember what it feels like to just feel like I was a a square peg in a round hole. But I wasn't here for the people. I was here to figure out this Jesus character. And so these guys are religious. Now, this man who's giving this feast in the parable, he says, for come, it's ready. It's time to feast. It's time to eat. And that was a signal. Jesus has been telling us chapter after chapter after chapter that the time is now. It's now. It's ready. It's here. I'm here. Back in Luke chapter 4, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. The Bible says in verse 17 that He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when He opened the book, He found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. 
And He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty unto the captives, to recover the sight of the blind, to set liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then He closed the book. He gave it back to the attendant. He sat down and all the eyes of those who were in the synagogue were fixed on Him. And He said unto them, Today this Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's been telling them. That it's the time. The time is now. But they do not believe. This is not the way that they uh, thought it was going to happen. He wasn't saying the things that they thought he ought to be saying. He wasn't honoring the things that they felt like he ought to be honoring. And so all of their traditions and all of their man-centered religion that they had sort of stacked up on top of the Old Testament, Jesus wasn't paying any mind to. Because his concern was that those pretentious, hard-hearted people who thought they had some right to enter into the kingdom of heaven would become His children, His followers, would receive Him as Lord and Savior. And so that's why He's continually teaching and telling parables to them. So the dinner's ready. Those who are invited come. Verse 18. But they all with one accord began to make excuses, the Bible says. Now, here's this banquet that's all prepared. Everyone's been invited. Now the food is ready to eat. The celebration is here to commence. And suddenly, everyone has excuses. And these excuses, listen to these excuses. The first person says, well, I bought a piece of ground and I must go see it. But he's kind, at least he's courteous, and he has to be excused. And so, I don't know. I mean, it may sound... Uh, ridiculous to you. I hear people uh, comment about this text and say, well, who on earth would buy a piece of property that they'd never seen? But I, my father-in-law did that. I've seen people do that. Uh, just buy a piece of property because it was a, a good deal and they had to move swiftly or do whatever they had to do and then they would go and see it. I don't think it's about the ridiculous nature of the excuse. I just think it's about the excuse that suddenly there was something that needed to be done. Maybe maybe there was a piece of ground. Maybe he was just making that up. We don't really know. But I know this. He was making an excuse. Then the next guy says, well, I bought five yoke of oxen. He was probably listening to the first guy. So he just changed it a little bit because he wasn't very creative. And I was going to go test them. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go test my oxen. Now, you know how, you know, I'm such a farm boy. I know how to test an oxen, let me tell you. But I guess you just hook them up to something and see if they'll plow. But I ask if you would excuse me. Well, then the third guy, well, he's thinking, well, he, he bought some land. He's going to look at it. And, and, and he bought some oxen. And he's going to test them. So what am I going to do? And he said, you know what? I just got married. I mean, yesterday I got married. I just got married. And therefore I can't come. I can't come. The boss said no. She said no. Now, I think that's the most realistic uh, of all of them. Just saying. That's why he didn't say excuse me at the end. The other two did. He was the only one telling the truth. He said, I want to come, but my wife said no. Not today. Now, let me explain something to you about how a a banquet would have gone. 
Okay? I want you to understand that back in verse 16 there's, there's, and 17, there's something very important that you have to see. 16 gives the account of a certain man who gave a great supper and invited many. Then 17 is a separate event that the man sent his servants at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for it's ready. In other words, there were no microwaves. You couldn't order out. There weren't any caterers. And so what would happen is, in order to throw a great banquet, the first thing you would do is you would go to all those whom you were going to invite and you would say, we're having a banquet at such and such a time, at such and such a place, and we'd like to invite you. Will you come? And they would say, yes, we will come. And then based on the ones who said they would come, it would take you, I don't know, maybe a day Two days to gather everything together, to get all the food prepared, to get everything ready. Then when it was all ready, you would send your servants out to the ones who were invited and said they could come and then bring them into the banquet. So this wasn't all happening at the same time. And the point I'm trying to make here is that these religious people in the story that Jesus is talking about were invited accepted the invitation, but then when the banquet was prepared and the food was ready, then they made excuses. So you see, it's much worse than it seems with just a, a, a surface reading. This really is more like the parable of the soils that Jesus taught back in chapter 8 of Luke, where he describes this farmer who's sowing or spreading seed. And the Bible says that the seed is the word of God. Now, these people are not the first soil where the Bible says they, they fall on the roadway or the wayside where the ground is packed hard. And the Bible says that the devil comes and just steals away. The birds just steal it away. So they don't ever believe. No, no, that's not the people that are that have accepted this initial invitation, but then made some excuse along the way. The next soil, the soil that, that, that has rocks in it, and the Word of God falls on that hard heart. And when they hear it, the Bible says they receive the Word with joy initially. Yes, I will, I will be glad to come to your banquet. But they have no root, the Bible says. They're not deep, they're not sincere. And they believe for a while, but once temptation comes, they fall away. They're like the second or third soil. The third soil is the ones that fall among the thorns. And the Bible says that when they heard, they go out. They, they initially begin to show signs of receiving. Yes, I'll come to your banquet. I'll be there. You can count on me. But then they get choked away by the cares or the riches of this world, the pleasures of life, and they bring no fruit unto maturity. You see, it was only the very last soil. It was only the, the few only the few that had a soft heart. And when they received the word of God, that, that seed took hold. And the Bible says they, they heard that word with a noble and good heart. And they keep it and they bear fruit with patience. So you see, they had originally said, yes, we'll come. We'll be there. And so then all the preparation goes forth and all the work and all the effort. But then... When it's time to eat after everything's ready, no, no. You see, excuses are different from rejection. You understand that? See, if, if, 
If I'm pumping gas, because I love to put my paycheck in my gas tank. So if I'm pumping gas, I'm always happy as I'm watching it just roll away. And my cell phone's ringing and my daughter's saying, I'm out of gas. And, you know, it's just going on and on and on. And so some stranger walks up to me and and they say, "Uh, sir, will you fill my tank with gas? No, I won't. I might give you a gallon or two if you're in need to get somewhere, but I'm not filling your tank with gas. I'm just going to say no. If the option, the only option is to fill your tank with gas, I'm probably going to say no. But if one of you come up to me and you say, Pastor, will you fill my tank with gas? I'm going to give you an excuse. I'm going to let you down easy. I'm not just going to reject you. I'm going to say, well, here's the situation. You see... Excuses are different from rejection. These people did not reject. They made excuses. They they rejected, but it was in a different way. And so, really, what's at the heart of an excuse is the issue of priority. When we make excuses for things, what we're really saying is that we have more important things that we're going to do. It's not, no, we would never do that in a million years. It's just... We might do it if we had nothing else to do, but we have better things to do, so we're not going to do it now. You see, so many people come and and sit in churches, just like this church, on days just like this, and come and, and listen and think about spiritual things. And you even think in your head, you think things like, you know, well, well, I'm gonna respond. I mean, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, to, take the invitation one day. I'm going to join the church or I'm going to get involved or I'm going to respond to Christ. And, you know, you, you have every intention of doing that. You don't say, no, no way, I'm not doing that. But just not now. You make excuses in your mind. And you say, well, I mean, I, I believe in God and one day I will come. But just not today. And what you're saying is that you have more important things to do. See, you have fields that need to be tended to. You have things that need to be tested. You have things that need to be cared for. There's a job and there's life. And so now's not really the time for that. So it's not never. It's just not now. That's what the people were saying to this master who had prepared this Feast And all of these excuses really are just saying the same thing. They're not, no, we don't want to come to the banquet. It's just right now we have other things we need to do. And really they're more important to us. And you see, so it only makes sense that when you get to verse 21. So when the servant came and reported back all of these excuses to the master, then the master of the house being angry said to the servant, well, then go out quickly All of this has been prepared. Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. Now I want you to think some with me about some things about this banquet because as we're making excuses in our mind for the things that we know we ought to do today, but we're already trying to convince ourselves that we're not going to do them, let's just examine a few truths about this banquet. Number one... 
The feast goes on. That the master didn't say, well, if they can't come, we'll just reschedule it for another day. This banquet can't be stopped. It can't be thwarted. It's not dependent on anyone responding to the invitation. It is what it is. The time is now. The door is open and it will be open as long as it's time to be open. And it'll be closed the moment he decides it's going to be closed. And there's nothing that any human person can do to change that. So there is no discussion about maybe we'll reschedule it. Maybe we'll cancel it. Maybe we can put the food in the freezer and we'll just reheat it next week. No, the banquet goes on. And so the master sends the servants out to find other people because we are having a banquet. That's important. The second thing is this, is that those who reject the invitation are removed from the guest list. You see... The master doesn't say, well, maybe when they're done testing their oxen, maybe when they're done checking on their real estate investments, they'll come to the banquet. No. They're replaced with other people. You see, they've been removed. And now the servants are out gathering other people to bring them in to the banquet. The third thing I want you to see is this. There's no one in the banquet. No one comes into the banquet without an invitation. That the only way to gain entrance is through an invitation. But no one is out of the banquet apart from rejection. You see, there's only one way in. And you think, well, that sounds so harsh. But you're missing the other side. No one is out for any other reason, but they rejected the invitation. So you see, it's quite clear that the master knows exactly what he's doing with this banquet. He's got a plan and it's not, uh, it didn't just crash and burn because people began to make excuses. Back in last week's text, earlier on in Luke 14, beginning in verse 12, Jesus said to these uh, self-righteous religious Pharisees, He said to the host, He said, when you give a dinner or a supper, don't ask your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. Let's say we'll simply just invite you back and you'll be repaid. But then He gives the clue as to what's the important thing in verse 13. He says, but when you give a feast, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed. Why? Because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. You see, Jesus sets forth this new paradigm by which when you throw a feast, you invite those who do not feel uh, like they deserve to be there. Those who don't just barge in and say, well, of course you would invite me because I'm important, because I've earned my way to be here, because I'm the kind of person who would be at a place like this. But you invite the people who, who once weren't even sure that they would ever be considered to be invited to a place like this. And the key, he says, is that because they can't repay you. Now, that's important because... We need to stop and just check our hearts at this truth and realize that in light of what Jesus is saying about this banquet, Christians in this room, what are you doing today 
that only God knows about and that only He can reward. What are you doing today that only He knows about and only He can reward? Think about all the ways that you serve and all the things that you do and all of, and just ask yourself this question. Is there anything that you do that no one but God knows about and no one can repay you but God? Because that's what Jesus is alluding to. That we need to not do things for what we can receive, but we need to do things so that we will receive in heaven that which we do not receive here on earth. The second thing is, consider this. Consider that what often upsets us, what, what often irritates us, reveals what motivates us. You see, Jesus is speaking to religious people. And He's turning the tables on their very culture. He knows exactly what they believe. And so He's turning the tables on them. And that's what the Bible does to me every time I sit down and read it. And that's what it does to you every time you sit down and read it. Is that it, it turns around all the things that our natural flesh wants to believe. You see, we, we say things, we affirm things with our mouth, but is it really true? And we get irritated when people talk about it. So you see, I've noticed things. I've noticed that that people who get irritated when I talk about money are greedy. That's why it irritates you. People who get irritated when I talk about reading your Bible are lazy. That's why it irritates you. You see, the reason that bothers you is that when I talk about certain things, it's because that's a source of conflict for you. But the truth is simply this. I don't think there's anyone in this room who would stand up and say, I don't believe that there's a God. I think that it's much, much, much more prevalent that there are people in this room who would say with their mouth, I believe in God. I believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. I believe that, that he, he wrote all of these words, that He inspired everything in this Bible and that it's all true and inerrant and, and without error or failure. Yet... How many people in this room have never read it? How many people in this room don't, don't even tithe? How many people in this room, you don't pray? You're here once a month. You see, your mouth can say all kinds of things. But the truth is, if you believe that this was the Word of God, that the Creator of the universe wrote this book, don't you think you'd read it? Hello? Don't get mad at me or you're just going to show your true colors. <laughs> right? It's true. You see, the truth is, is that we, we're just like this. And you see, when, when I, when I, if I don't read the Word of God, I become a Pharisee. Because the Word of God rips down my Flesh. It tears apart the natural me that wants to be selfish and self-centered and do my own thing and make things fit into my own ideas. 
And so I would walk around and say, yes, I accept the invitation. But when it comes time, I just make excuses. I mean, really. When the offering plate went by, what if we could see all the excuses in the room? When you're at home by yourself, husbands laying in bed next to your wife, and you think to yourself, you know, I ought to pray for her and for my family before I go to sleep. If she could see the excuses going through your head. You know, I ought to spend some time with my teenage daughter. You know, I need to encourage my son. Oh yeah, I accept the invitation, but when it comes time to do it, what happens? We make excuses. So verse 22, the servant returns and said, Master, it's done as you commanded. We went out and we we got the poor and the blind and the maimed and the crippled. But still there's room, the servant says. There's still room. Then the master said to the servant, Go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Another clue about this master, that not only is this banquet not going to be canceled, not only are the people who reject going to be replaced with other people, but it's going to be filled. All the people who belong at the banquet are going to come. See, the servants come back and they said, but there's still seats. They understand the way the master works, that it's going to be full, that it's going to hold all the people that belong there. Now go out, there's more to find. Go get them. You see, the banquet's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be a bummer due to lack of attendance. You know, it's not going to get rained out. There's not going to be, you know, just a bunch of people missing. Oh, no. And let me tell you what else is going to happen at the banquet. According to what Jesus taught just earlier in this very chapter, about always wanting to have the prominent seat, but then the master coming up and saying, excuse me, you don't belong here. You have to go to the back. And Jesus said, what you want to do is be the person in the back so that the master comes and says, excuse me, you're up here in the front. You know what I know about this banquet? The front is the most packed area. It's packed. And it's not the people that we think would be there. But it's the people that He knows belong there. But the issue is not where do you sit at the banquet. The issue is, are you at the banquet? That's the issue because verse 24 says, Now notice, Jesus is telling a story. It's a parable. And so he's just communicating a heavenly truth through an earthly story. And he's just telling this story. And so he's speaking in the third person. But you always have to pay attention when you read the Bible. Whenever the tense changes, Jesus goes from talking about these people in this place at some banquet. And he says, for I say to you. See, everything changed. Now, this was a story about somebody, but now he says, I say to you that none of the men who were invited shall taste of Whose supper? My supper. See, he, he pulls back the veil and says, I'm not talking about some mystery. I'm not talking about something that could maybe happen. This isn't a fairy tale. I'm here. I'm the master. I'm throwing the banquet. You won't be there to eat of my supper because you rejected 
the invitation. You said initially, oh yeah, I'll be there. Oh, I'm your man. I'm a man, I'm here. I'm in the church. I'm listening to the sermon. I'm giving a couple bucks to missions. I mean, I'm part of the program. But when it came time for you to respond, for you to step up, for you to do something that you couldn't be recognized for, something for someone who couldn't repay you, when it was time to get up and do something that wasn't fitting into your schedule the way you thought, kind of bending you in a way you didn't want to bend, you had better things to do. Jesus said, it's you and it's me. That's who he's talking to. Amen. In John chapter 3, Jesus said, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. See, here's the question. You can't read this and not ask the question, what went wrong? How could people go so wrong? How could they miss this? We need to understand that we don't do the same thing. That we don't make this mistake. How does this happen? See, Jesus is still answering the original question that sort of started this whole dialogue back in 13, verse 23. When He was asked, Lord... In light of all that you've said, are there only a few that are going to be saved? I mean, you you making this sound hard. And Jesus answered and said, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, many will seek to enter but will not be able. Jesus is still pressing in on that question. And that's what we've been talking about week after week after week. So, what do we need to know? How do we reconcile all this? So we can figure out, what are we going to do? Are we going to go back to our land? Are we going to go back to our oxen? Are we going to blame it on our wife? Or are we going to respond to the invitation? What are we going to do? Well, here's what this parable teaches us. It teaches us, number one, that the reason so many seek to enter and do not, is that they fail to recognize the importance of the invitation. They fail to recognize the eminence of the moment. They fail to recognize what hangs in the balance of the moment of invitation. You think that it's just another invitation, just another day, it's just another banquet. And that the same door will open next week or next month or next year. And what this parable teaches is that that is a fatal mistake. To excuse away the importance of this invitation is what I think the greatest mistake a human being can possibly make. Secondly, it teaches us That our nature, who we are, apart from Christ, is to just convince ourselves and just to believe that we can enter this banquet on our own terms. That we we do this in our own ways. We 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 conjure up things. You know, I mean, I have, I've had, I've heard it all. I've heard it all. And trust me, I am, 
I could write a, a thousand page book contained with all the excuses that I've heard. I mean, I have literally had people sit before me and tell me that they are a born again believer in Jesus Christ. And I would recite scripture to them and they would say back to me, well, I just don't believe that. That doesn't work. You can't do that. You can't just pick and choose. You can't just say that, well, this, this banquet, I believe this banquet's going to come and I believe that I've been invited and I believe I'm going to go, but I believe that I'm going to go my way. No, you're not. You're not going your way. There's only one name under heaven by which man can be saved and it's his name. No one gets to the Father but by him. It's his way or no way. And those are the two mistakes that we make and I think it's all sort of summed up in the fact that we completely miss the cost of the banquet. Now let me share a few things with you before we end. This banquet is not a restaurant. There is no waiter who's going to bring you a bill at the end. Your credit card's no good in this banquet. There's no cost for what you're going to partake of. And the reason why that's so important is because some of you in this room want to earn your way to the banquet. In other words, you hear the invitation, but rather than just making some lame excuse about the reason why, you, you validated the reason why you're not responding to the invitation with a... Uh, something like this. Well, I'm such a bad sinner. I've done so many bad things. I'm so far away from God. I mean, I've got to get these things right. And when I get these things right, then I'll, then I'll come to the banquet. Wrong answer. Your good works won't get you in the banquet. There's no currency exchanging hands in the banquet. Those who are invited are invited at the request of the master. And when you walk in, your pockets are empty, everyone's pockets are empty, and they're going to remain that way, and we all partake the same from this glorious, unbelievable banquet. So you don't earn your way. It's not a restaurant. It's not a potluck. You don't stroll up with your big pot of stew because that's your part, and everybody's going to bring their part, and we're all going to put our parts together, and together we're going to have a big Baptist hoedown. That's not what's going to happen. See, let me just tell you something about a potluck. Here's the problem with a potluck. The problem with a potluck is, is that the idea is, is that all of us are going to get together and have a potluck. And so every couple, meaning every woman, is going to bring this <laughs> pot. And every man is hoping it's lucky. That's what it is. So they bring this pot. Now, here's the problem. I watch you bring the pots. There's no way you and your husband can eat everything in that pot. So everyone brings 10 times more than they can eat. And when you multiply that across all of us, then what do we have? Gluttony. That's the problem, right? And then there's always, I know, there's, but here's how we excuse it away. We say, well, but there's going to be some single men there. You know, those guys who think that Pop-Tarts are a food group. Those guys are going to come. Well, that's true. But here's the point. This isn't a potluck. There's going to be more there than you can ever eat of. It's going to be so fantastic you can't dream of it. But it's not because you brought anything in. It's not some 
collective collaboration where we all pull together and make this great banquet. It's all prepared in advance. You've been invited to come. Jesus shows up on the scene. He says, now's the time. It's ready. Let's go. And at that time, it's time to respond. It's time to come. It's time to enter into the great hall and dine at the banquet. The kingdom of God must be received. It must be received from the master. It cannot be earned. You cannot do anything. You can't be too bad. You can't be too far away. You don't have to fix yourself. There's nothing in your past that prevents you from entrance. If you've been invited, the only way you can't come in is if you reject not on your own merit. And listen, isn't that good news? Because if you could get rejected on your own merit, what hope would we have? Let me draw your attention to one last thing and then we're done. Notice in verse 21, maybe this caught your eye as we looked at it. The Bible says, So when the servants came and reported that these excuses have been made to the master, the Bible says, Then the master of the house, being angry, now, there may be some of you in here who just sort of read that and noticed, well, he didn't really cover that because he didn't want to talk about God being angry because, you know, he just doesn't want to make everybody feel uncomfortable. Well, that's not true. What's true is that he is angry. And I do want to talk about it. And why is he angry? He's angry because people don't realize the cost of the banquet. People think that just because it's free to them, that it's fine if you go or you don't go. But they don't have any regard for the one who throws the banquet. So Jesus tells almost the same parable, but with a different twist in Matthew 22. And here's what he says. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged for the marriage of his son. Interesting. Then he says he sent out his servants to call all those who were invited to the wedding. And they were not willing to come. In fact, they were abusive towards the servants that he sent out. So the Bible says in verse 5 that uh, they made light of the fact that he had invited them to the wedding. And they went their own ways, each one to his own farm and another to his own business. Then the Bible says that when the king heard about it, he was furious. He was furious. And so therefore, he sent his servants into the highways that they may find those who would come to the wedding. Jesus says. But then it says this in verse 11 of Matthew 22. The Bible says, But when the king came to see the guests, I, I just want to stop for just a moment. Do you understand what the Bible says? That when the king comes to see the guests... In other words, those who respond, those who are at the banquet, who are they dining with? The king. The king is at the banquet. He comes in and mingles with the crowd and spends time with those who have responded. That they're not just eating this unbelievable food in this phenomenal place. He's with them. That he's there and he comes in to see the guests as if he's, he's so excited. He can't wait to see all those who he's invited that mean so much to him that have come to celebrate the wedding feast of his son. And he saw a man there. He saw one man there who did not have on the proper wedding garment. And verse 12 says, So 
The king said to him, Friend, how did you come in without a wedding garment? And the man was speechless. Now, I have to stop and think for a moment. Maybe the man, maybe the man didn't have time to go home and get a wedding garment. Maybe the man doesn't own a wedding garment. Maybe he's too poor to own a wedding garment. Maybe there's, you see, none of those excuses fit. Because the people who rejected, the king sent his servants out to get the people from the highway so they didn't have time to go either. So how come all of them had on a wedding garment and he went and got the poor, the blame, the main, the, the crippled? They can't afford a wedding garment, but everyone has on a wedding garment, but this one man. And he said, friend, why don't you have one? He has nothing to say in return. And the king says to his servants, Bind this man hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He ends the parable by saying, For many are called, but few are chosen. You know what that means? That man is a man who tried to come into the banquet his own way. No one showed up with wedding garments. They were issued at the door. And the garment is the same for everyone. It's the robe of righteousness that one must wear in order to be in the presence of the king. And the robe of righteousness is granted through the son who were there to celebrate the wedding feast of. And that son who gave his life that those who respond, would receive the garment of righteousness. Therefore, in their, after all that they'd done and all that they had rebelled and all of the sin that they have committed, would be able to put this robe of righteousness on and dine in the presence of the king. But this one man tried to come in without that. And he was cast out. Now listen very closely to what I'm going to tell you. You can't come your way. You can only come His way. The only way that me or you will ever be in the presence of the King is if we're wearing the robe of the righteousness of His Son. Because my sin will never be before my King. Because He won't be in the presence of my sin. But He will be in the presence of me in the robe of His Son. And you if you are His child. So what I'm telling you is that wherever you are today, however you've grown up, whatever you've heard, whatever you've done in the past, whatever cards you've filled out or prayers you've prayed or decisions you've made or places you've served or offices you've held or whatever the case may be, none of that matters. The only thing that matters is the invitation is open now. Will you come with the robe that's given to you through the Son. It's the only way. It's the only way. There's no other way. This isn't about what other people think. This isn't about what you have convinced other people of or you've convinced yourself of. It's not about who's sitting around you. It doesn't matter. All that matters in this moment is whether or not you'll respond or make another excuse. Now, if you're saved this morning, have you been baptized? Or is that yet another area of excuse in your life? 
Are you here today to say, Oh, I'm a Christian, but I just don't want to get baptized. It's just not convenient for me. I'm afraid of water. I don't want to get dunked. I don't want to do that. And here's what I would say to you. That's like standing on the altar, proclaiming your undying love before everyone you know and the king of the universe in marriage and then saying, but wait a minute, but I'm not ready to put on that ring or to give that ring. I just wanted to sort of have this wedding But I didn't know we were going to actually get married. Yeah. You need to come. And you need to be baptized. If you you don't belong to this church, if you're not part of this fellowship, why? What's the holdup? Whatever the obstacle is, we'll, we'll hurdle it together. You need to come. Plant your life here and be part of what God's doing. Listen, the time is now. Let's just stop waiting. Maybe there's some area of ministry or service that you know God's calling you to, but you're just afraid and you're not sure and you've got all these things and so you just excuse it away. Now, respond to the Lord today and say, God, I'm yours. I'm not just going to say things with my mouth, but I'm actually going to walk as if I believe the things I say. Can we today simply agree That if this is the Word of God, if what I have shared with you this morning is true, is there anything else that's more pressing than this invitation right now? Let's stand. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes before the Lord. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that You would give us the courage to respond to You, Lord God. We want to come and acknowledge Your grace and Your goodness to us, Lord. Thank You, Father, that You you could have just remained anonymous to Your creation. You could have just spent eternity in heaven with Your glorious Son. But God, You didn't. You chose to intervene for sinful men and women. You chose to send Your Son to give Him, to die for people who are rejectors of You. And Lord, this morning we celebrate the fact that You, You've invited us to Your banquet. And that You, Lord, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the One who created everything, that You are going to enter into that banquet and with excitement see Your people, Lord. Oh God, what will that moment be like? After all the years in this fallen world, after all the the hurdles and the sickness and the heartbreak and the pain and the suffering, Lord, for men and women of God to sit at the table of the King to the, the bounty of everything our heart could ever desire before us, Lord God. To walk up to the table and see a a name card with our name reserving that spot for us, Lord. Thank You. Father, won't we respond to You? Oh, Lord, help us. Help us. The altar's open. You come. If you'd like to come and surrender yourself to Christ, come this morning. I'd love to pray with you, talk with you, help you. Pastor Rod's here. Pastor Brian's here. If you... 
need to be baptized, come this morning, come. Be the greatest decision that you, you ever make to take that burden away and to free yourself to follow your Lord. If you want to come and plant your life here in this fellowship, come. Come and be a part of what God's doing here. We'll rejoice. We'll rejoice in your decision.